the Bay podcast. This is Mimi. This week I'm back with Bridget. The solo intro last week, I was a little nervous. Sorry for everyone who had to just hear me talk for like eight minutes, but thank you for bearing with me. Um, but glad to have you back, Bridget. Yeah, you did a great job. Thank you for <laughs> for stepping up. I was uh, just doing a lot. I don't know. I was up in, up in Tahoe following Western states and doing all that stuff. And I was just telling you like, I do not do well at altitude. I always think that something is wrong with me. I'm like, oh, my iron is off. Something is wrong. Like, And then I get back to sea level and I'm like, oh no, I'm just terrible at altitude. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I can breathe. I can sleep. Oh, I can do all of these things. Yeah. Exactly. My whoop like immediately is like, you're recovered. And I'm like, oh, oh. okay, cool. <laughs> That's all it took. <laughs> Great. Okay. I'm a sea nice. level. I'm a sea level creature. <laughs> yeah. But it was, it was so fun. But yeah, happy to be home. I mean, we're so lucky that we have like access to to everything in such close proximity, but I'm definitely yeah. a sea level creature. Definitely. How was your, how was your weekend? Good. Uh, I'm down in LA for 4th of July. We're recording this on the 4th of July. I raced this morning and I won. I know. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm freaking Which out. I, Mimi was like, it's not a big deal. And I was like, it's a huge well, deal. <laughs> first of all, I didn't even want to race. Sorry, Dina, if you're listening to this, I basically only did it because I didn't want Dina to be disappointed in me. And whatever I you got to do to get to the start line. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I know I'm in physical shape to PR, but I'm just, I'm exhausted. Last week yeah. was just a lot at work. We drove down to yeah. LA. It's been a lot of family time haven't really tapered. Like I haven't treated my body well. I didn't do my strength. Sorry, Matt, this week was crazy. So I just felt like I know physically I'm in shape, but like mentally and just because of everything that's happened this week, I just didn't know. I didn't know how today would go. So Mm -hmm. I really just sort of decided as soon as it became clear that there wasn't a whole lot of people really trying or, or people, you know, it was, it was a slim field basically that there were two women ahead of me and they were like, you know, definitely ahead of me. Like I wasn't going to catch them, but I thought they were running the 10 K and I was like, okay, I'll be like third. If I can just hold on to this, this is great. And they ended up only running the 5 K and I was like, oh, okay. I guess, I guess if I don't die, I'll win this. So I just sort of focused on not blowing up. Although like I definitely did something to my hamstring with like a quarter mile to go. So I was telling you, Bridget, that like I'm taking tomorrow <laughs> off. Tomorrow is a Monday. Listeners, when you listen to this on Tuesday, I will have had a full rest day. Ask me how it went. Hold me accountable. Don't let me run. We chain me. Some, chain me yeah. to the house. <laughs> I want some. I want some rest day brags tomorrow. I need. <laughs> I need to see like uh, a Norma Tech and chill or like legs up the wall. Yeah, something. I'm gonna be like, <laughs> do not, do not let me run. I just. <laughs> I really need it. I can't, this is not good. Do not do what I do, people. I can't remember the last day I didn't run. Forget about taking a rest day. I just can't think about the last day I didn't run. And that's, that's not good. My body's feeling it. So I feel like by the time you are like, I definitely need a rest day. You probably needed a rest day like a month ago. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or like one. By the time you admit it, you're like, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) my body is like, uh, uh, we hate you. Yeah. But I have to, I have to tell you a story. So I was driving yeah. home from the race and don't do this. Don't like tweet and drive. But I, I definitely checked Twitter before I started driving. Mm-hmm. But obviously like the Olympic trials have been 
we're emotional and there's a lot of stories and we could talk about Shelby Houlihan and what happened before the trials. We could talk about Shakari Richardson and how messed yeah. up that whole situation is. And we can talk about all the amazing performances. But I was really sad when Kate Grace didn't make the 800 team. And yeah. she has been cleaning up in Europe. And I saw that she just got another PB. And then I saw it was tweeted that like Leah Fallon got a PB in Europe. And I'm driving home and I'm tired and my stomach hurts. And I'm just crying. I'm crying I for them it. because I'm just so inspired by people that are like, you know, this didn't, this one thing didn't work out, but like, we're not going to let that define me. And they're going to go kick ass and do something else. And now Kate Grace is like two PBs in, I don't know, four days. And it's just, it's inspiring. And what it goes to show is like, you are not one thing. You are not just, you know, making an Olympic team or winning this one race. Like that doesn't have to define you. You can get up and do other things. And I don't know. I just get very emotional thinking about it. I feel th- I feel the same way. I mean, the Olympics, World Championships, the Diamond League, like they get me. And I think I think the beautiful part is that it's like it's such a good reminder of like no one result defines you, you know, good or bad. But like I think that that spirit of like, you know, just stay hungry, stay passionate about the sport, stay engaged and just every day show up and do your best. Yeah. Like that's the key to longevity. And it's also so fun to watch, you know, when you kind of just are doing your best and being like today was shit, but tomorrow might be awesome. It doesn't, yeah. you know, one shit day doesn't mean, doesn't necessarily mean anything. And that's, that's so cool. Yeah. So I have a, a drink that you have to try. Sometimes I do like coconut water w- mixed with the the you can like hydration powders mm-hmm. like the lemon lime um i didn't have any of that i also didn't have Lacroix, but i had have you ever tried the like ollie sodas i think they're like ollie pop sodas or something no. they're i don't know they're like a trendy a trendy new like low sugar thing i also think that they're like like love it or leave it like one of the crooked media podcasts <laughs> sponsored by it so i was like oh okay i've got to try it insert now. Um, insert discount code here that we <laughs> right, don't know. right right not, Hi, not a sponsor um, that is not a sponsor of the pod yeah <laughs> not yet um just listen so I had a, a crooked media pod to get that coupon right code. right 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 <laughs> love it's got you yeah. um so i had a ginger ginger lemon olipop in the fridge and i mixed it with the lemon lime you can Oh my God. It was so, so good. good. When you're back in Palo Alto, I'm just going to come over and bring you one because good. it was like, uh, it was, it was amazing. So now I'm kind of obsessed with it. Um, and I think everyone should try it along with our, uh, with my other favorite summer drink with, uh, with ice and the, the protein shake. So get on it. We'll also, we keep saying this, but actually I'm going to start sharing these little drink recipes on our Runners of the Bay Insta. So follow us on Insta if you don't already and head on over to UCAN and get yourself some goodies and then we can be making all these delicious hydration and protein drinks. Um, And if you want snacks, they've got snacks too. Um, Our promo code is UCAN.co slash discounts slash ROTB and you get 15% 15% off. Nice. I think part of the reason my I'm going to blame my lack of strength training this week on my hamstring blowing <laughs> out, but yeah. I have been doing, you know, pretty religiously the the strength training exercises that Matt has assigned me mm. through my program through Ever Athlete. And what's been really cool is like I started off with a certain weight on a medicine ball and I I 
couldn't get through the exercises. Like I just yeah. couldn't get through the reps. And now I can. And I'm probably not doing them right. Like I'm probably doing it too fast, but I was probably doing it too fast before and I couldn't yeah. get through it. So I think I'm just already seeing so much improvement. And I think we're sort of got, we've gotten through this first phase and excited to see what Matt has in store for me for the next phase. And, you know, even when you're not running or you're taking a break, like that's a good time to really focus on strength. So, I mean, I'm kidding that tomorrow needs to be a full rest day, but I'm also dead serious. And this week is actually going to be a down week where I'm really focusing on that strength and the time that I would put into running, I'll be focusing on doing all the things that I should be doing anyway. And Ever Athlete is just such a great resource for that. So make sure you go to everathlete.fit. Discount code is ROTB50 for 50% off your first month. Don't be an idiot like me. Don't do strength before it's too late. (laughs) Don't stop doing it and then mess yourself up. Yeah. But just grateful for Matt because I know that even though I've done some dumb things, like he's going to get me back on track. Yeah. The other fun thing about Matt and Ever Athlete is I love their Instagram. Um, And like how, I mean, Matt is like, he works with major, major pro athletes. I mean, Kate Courtney, if you don't know her, you should obviously follow her on Instagram. She's a amazing professional worldwide known, uh, I don't, I'm bad at mountain biking terminology. Like she does epic stuff and Matt is her strength coach. And I always love when he shares or when she shares like the little glimpses into her strength because I'm like, oh, okay. He's definitely giving me like beginner, <laughs> beginner strength, but you know, something to strive for. And it's always fun to to see, you know, what someone is capable of of doing and like helping and all of the, totally. the interesting things that go so far beyond like, okay, do squats, do like one-legged lunges. You know, I I love the creativity that Matt brings to to the strength workouts that he puts us through and, and his, uh, you know, other athletes through too. Yes, totally. And if you guys hear some ambient noise in this recording, it's because I'm in my parents' house. There's a lot of <laughs> door slamming, landlines ringing. Feels like I'm back in high school. I'm looking at a picture of myself from high school. Anyways, apologies for the the sound of this week, but now you have a little glimpse into it's, what it is like to be home. It's, it's real parents. life. It's real it's life. Real life. <laughs> I also feel like that's perfect for today's episode though, because yes, today we were, yeah, we were talking, we, this interview is with Michelle Chang. She is amazing. She's a runner, a Googler, a mother, a world traveler. She's currently doing the, the van life. Well, not van life, but she's got a van that, that she's traveling with, with her kids and her husband. She's a member of the Impalas. And she, first of all, like she has this seven phase running journey. She's kind of like thought about her whole running in these seven phases. It definitely has prompted me to kind of think about my running life that way. But I think she's someone who just is very honest about where she's at and, you know, is very much like my life is a lot of things and this is what I'm bringing to this thing in this moment and it's my best, but it might not be perfect. And I, I love that, that yeah. mentality. And that it can be different at different phases yeah. and running yes. can be something, can serve a different purpose. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be the same thing and we get into it, but I really resonated with a lot of her story. And I think all of you will as well. I haven't sort of, I have not sat down to kind of draft through what my seven phases are, but that could be a fun, a fun podcast exercise for all of us. We can 
share our seven phases and, and think about it that way. But yeah, Michelle was just such a, a joy to talk to you and this realization that like, there's no such thing as balance. There's no such thing as perfection. <laughs> We're all just trying to do our best and get it in. And that was a great reminder. Totally. So with that, enjoy this episode with Michelle Chang. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. Today, we're so happy to have Michelle Chang here, who we just learned has more journalism experience than we do. So she's officially a pro. And we were joking before we started recording that the barrier to entry to having a podcast is very low. So anyone can have one. But Welcome, Michelle. We're so happy you're here. Thank you. you. You've set the bar quite high now. So I only have, uh, you know, disappointing to do ahead of me. No, not at all. And and if we sound more hyped up than usual, it's because literally like five minutes ago, the women's 5,000 meter trials final, I don't have words, just ended. And that was an incredible race. And then we caught the 1500 earlier, and then that crazy 800 men's final, which was like insane because Donovan Frazier didn't even come close to making the team. Anyway, I think we're all sitting here as track fans, kind of like stupefied. But today we're here to talk about Michelle, not about the other athletes that we just watched make an Olympic team. So welcome to the podcast, Michelle. Thanks for having me, Mimi and Bridget. Thanks for being here. So let's get started. What does running look like for you right now? I know earlier when we were talking, you said you've really gotten into mountain biking and other activities, but what is what is running? How does that fit into your life these days? Well, these days, I, you know, it's not a typical day, but I would say running to me is different every day, right? It's a day of recovery and solitude with my own thoughts. It's a day spent pushing my two-year-old in the stroller, going across town to pick up bagels. It's also a time to catch up with friends who I haven't seen in many, many months. It's also exploring new places. Bridget and I were just talking about Idaho, spent many hours discovering trails at high elevation, if you will, up in Sun Valley, running and just adventuring. So it's been a journey. Um, I think I started out as a swimmer when I was in my youthful age of, you know, seven to nine years old, and then kind of discovered running as something that I excelled at. And, you know, I mentioned this with Mimi, but kind of look at my running journey in seven phases, if you will. You know, one, starting out chasing boys at <laughs> I love uh, recess, right? <laughs> Uh, mm -hmm. I think many of us who grew up in the U.S. Uh, attending primary school participated in lunchtime mile runs and such. So definitely did that. I think the second phase I kind of coin as the team phase, right? Joining cross country track and field teams to be a part of that squad, braids, ribbons and all, right? The third phase I call rescue. Unfortunately, like many runners that I know too, we've all kind of battled our own dark periods, one of which was a period of eating disordered, you know, in my post-collegiate years and running became my rescue mechanism to climb out of that hole. And for women, I went through a period of time that I 
really was drawn to the the movement, if you will, of empowering more women runners led and built by women founders of brands that I really care about. So I joined Wazelle as an ambassador, actually, thanks to Lauren Fleshman, who's a friend and had, you know, encouraged me to join. And then also joining the Impala Racing Team, which is an SF-based group of really wildly fast women and trained at Kizar with them for a number of years. Fifth phase is the phase that I like to call like the speed era, right? I was like, I need to dial in and get fast to qualify for Boston and, and improve my PRs. I teamed up with Dina Evans, who I think Mimi, you know very, very well, who is amazing and just so awesome and, you know, did make it to Boston successfully. The sixth phase is what I like to call travel. I've traveled extensively through work as well as through vacation and leisure. And I'm grateful that I have that opportunity and that I'm privileged to do that. But that's taken me to many different countries and places. And then seven, recover, is kind of the latest phase, if you will, right? I've had two kids, the body changes, the schedule changes. So just looking at running in a different light, but it's something I I always go home to, right? It's something I always can depend upon. I think that's all a testament to how much running means to me. Hopefully that answers your question, Mimi. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. I love how you've broken it down into phases. And I feel like we could do an entire hour on every single phase. Like there's (laughs) so much there. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about running is it can be different things to you at different phases of your life and it could fit in anywhere. And it doesn't have to be this one thing. It can be a lifelong friend, but it can be a different type of friend depending on what you need at the time. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, I can relate to the the chasing boys phase on the playground, but we'll skip that for right now. You know, you mentioned that like you, you started off as a swimmer and then you found some talent in running. How did you discover that talent? You know, I think it was, it goes back to a very specific race in cross country. And actually, like, I haven't been asked that question. So I'm just like thinking on the fly here. There was a race and I was part of the JV cross country team. I think sophomore year. And I was clearly going into it in mid-pack at best. And I think slowly but surely I moved up in placing until I think it was the home stretch. And sorry, let me scratch that. It was was track and field. It was definitely track and field. We were running in circles. (laughs) And it was the last 200 meters, I want to say, that I overtook the first couple of women and I won that race and albeit I was JV, but I, I knew I had a kick and I had something in me that I could actually win something. And so I think I just used that to build my confidence and move on to the varsity team later, I believe. And then also kind of expand my interest into cross country. It was also in my post university years when I also discovered I like to go long and, you know, local races I would do decently well in, in terms of age group, you know, placings, but I'm definitely not like the fastest one out there. Right. So don't get me wrong, but it was definitely something that I kind of invested in and went all in with for a number of years. So you, you taste this little bit of like, I'm good at this. And then in high school, 
does that continue to stay like a positive thing? Are you kind of like, how far can I push this? This is fun. I want to see what my potential is. Or does it kind of feel like pressure and expectation? And how does it kind of feel in your body at that phase? My relationship with running was strong through and through high school. It was my primary sport. I did dabble in tennis and in the earlier years kept swimming a bit, but running was really my rock. During college, when I think I kind of neglected it, right? It was college. I went out east, you know, having been a California Bay Area native, it was new and didn't really run much at all, honestly. And probably just went to the gym, honestly. At that point in time, it was the last couple of years in college that I started experiencing an eating disorder and then turned back to running as a way to help myself get out of it. And it was it was also interesting because I did listen to, you know, Mimi, your initial episode, right? At the outset of the eating disordered experience, I did look to running as a sign, almost like a demand signal of, hey, you're doing a good thing with this eating disorder because your running is still strong. Mm-hmm. You're still fast. You're still able to put in the miles and, and at a relatively fast speed. So in that respect, I think, Bridget, like that was when running wasn't necessarily a positive association, right? And of course, over time with recovery, it did become that tool to help me look at things, you know, in a more healthy light and help me bring balance. I think after that, you know, the running really became a passion again. I won't say like it doesn't sometimes become an addiction, right? I think that's always like the flip side of using it as a, not necessarily your panacea, but like a device to, or you use it to substitute it for something else that may be not healthy. But I don't think it was ever, you know, to the point where I got any chronic kind of fatigue illness. So I was fortunate of that. Yeah. My coach has this thing that he says sometimes to me, cause I'll say like, Oh, I have, I'm having a shitty day at work or I'm just in like a funk this week. And he'll say like, that's fine. If running needs to be therapy this week, it can be, but when running is therapy, then it can't be anything else. So like we can't ask your body to both have running be your therapy and then do a hard workout or do a long run. If it's therapy, it's therapy and just use it as that. But like, it's when you layer on and you ask it to be like, please cure my anxiety. And then we need to run, you know, 15 miles at this pace. Then that's when you're asking too much. Right. Yeah. I mean, I relate obviously so strongly to everything that you, you said, but I've been doing my own reflecting to be quite honest in the last couple of weeks. I've sort of taken this attitude of like, oh, well, I'm, I'm recovered or like I'm out of it. But like truth be told, the days I can't run or the days I can't exercise, I panic. And so to me, that's telling me like, maybe you're out of the acute phase. It's not something that you think about on a daily basis, but like when push comes to shove and if running was taken away from you, like, would you be okay? And my answer to that as a almost 37 year old woman is, I don't know. I really don't know. And I think I've known that for a long time and sort of didn't want to admit it to myself until I watched Ali Ostrander's video talking about how she has been in an inpatient treatment center for an eating disorder and like she's in the shit right now. And like a lot of people don't talk about it when they're really going through it. And I, I had to just like say, you know, 
I think you get out of the shit, you know, but you're never the shit can. Sorry for all the shit talk people like it can always be around the corner. And so I think for me personally, like running is the reason I'm alive. Like, I don't doubt that. There's just no doubt for me, but it's it can be a slippery slope. And so to the point of like using running as therapy or what you said, Michelle, is like a panacea or replacing one addiction with the other. Like I, I think I personally still have work to do of if I can't run for whatever reason, or if I just need to take a break physically and mentally that I will be okay. I think we're always works in progress and trying to figure that out. It's an evolution and it's not linear. Like sometimes you go back and you know, I'm more okay than I've ever been in my life, but it doesn't mean that I'm not in the shit sometimes. I feel you, Mimi. And I think, you know, this might be controversial or it does come from a place of privilege and entitlement for sure. But I, I think, you know, I have a stable job. I have a great job. I have two beautiful kids I adore. I have a loving husband, right? But if running exited my life tomorrow, like that would not be okay, right? Like I would have a huge void. None of those amazing things would take the place of running. So I hear you, like we're definitely wired differently and we have to do what it takes to to keep that running alive. I think that triggers an experience I had pre-COVID last year, which is when I was pregnant with my son, with my daughter, I was running through the end of pregnancy. So up to like week 38, right? If you count like 17 minute mile pace that is running. Oh yeah, (laughs) that counts. Um, But so I, so I had the same drive and the the same commitment to that with my, my second, with my son. And then about at 20 weeks or so, I was on a trail run. My husband was mountain biking and I just stepped on some twig with my foot, just totally, you know, stepped on the wrong part of my foot. And I was literally out for, I don't know, 20 months or something, a long time for runners. It wasn't my first injury by any means, but I was obviously in PT and recovery and I was maniacally going down like my neighborhood streets with my elliptigo training as hard as I could. (laughs) But then that's also when I discovered mountain biking, right? My husband pulled me along on a ride or two and, you know, it took, it took a few hairy falls and, you know, cliff dangles until I signed up and said, okay, this is my thing. This is when I can actually finally find that cross training equivalent that, you know, Dina and others have always said, you know, runners are the worst at. So that's been a true blessing. And I bike as much as I run now, which is amazing. It's interesting, like what we do when things are taken away from us. I mean, I think part of being a runner is like your resilience and your ability to pivot and to find something else. Again, with this theme of like running being different things. And I I just want to go back to like the phases of your life. And I think that personally running for me at first became something to sort of fuel my eating disorder. Then it became the recovery. Then it became, you know, like, what can I do with this? And in subsequent years, it's become so much more. And you talked about it becoming something about women empowerment and focusing on female founded brands and your relationship with Wazelle. And I'm curious, like, how did you start to assert yourself in that community? You mentioned Lauren Flashman, who we're all big fangirls of over here. And, you know, does that also sort of permeate into your non-running life too? I like to think about how I try to uplift women in in work and just in in life in general. And 
how has that sort of impacted your overall sort of being as a woman in this world? No, that's a great question. I think things for me in the early 2010s were, you know, that's when I was definitely seeing this fire in in myself in terms of wanting to compete, wanting to, you know, get to know the running community a bit better in, in the Bay. There was a dearth of like practical things like good looking, fast, technical running shorts, right? And I felt like that was a void that a company like Wazelle had helped fill. And it's, you know, it's obviously a group of very amazing, accomplished, visionary leaders and women. I felt a strong connection to the runners there, not only the fast ones, right, who we all, like you said, fangirl, but also the ones like me, right, who were trying to find their place and what it meant to be an amateur athlete who wanted to look good, feel good, but also get to get to know each other near and far. So the brand has really resonated with me. I think it's a responsible brand. It's also a very uplifting brand and it really centers on connectivity no matter who you are. I think in terms of translating that in my day job, right? Like I lead a team of policy experts to craft the content moderation rules for Google search, right? So it's a lot of navigating through an ambiguity, dealing with a lot of intractable issues of the open web. And that's across all global users, right? Whether you're American or you're Brazilian, whether you're a 10-year-old or a 70-year-old, right? So it cuts across so many types of people and Part of building coherent sound policies and ensuring that technology companies and the internet can reflect a principled view of providing people really important information to learn about an issue, to find out more about an issue, is to make that as diverse and inclusive and equitable for all. And that means not only doing that from a policy standpoint, but also from a a team building, team respect angle. So I I do think it translates into so much of what I do in running with those who I want around me as as well as those that I want on literally on my team at work. Wow. I think about what you do and I'm like blown away. You like moderate (laughs) the internet. (laughs) That's what that's the way I interpreted that is (laughs) is you moderate the internet, but it's, it's pretty incredible. I mean, you know, just to step back and I think about this podcast in general and and you in particular, like the people that we're fortunate enough to get to talk to not only have such like incredible answers to, you know, my hastily asked questions, but are also really thinking about these issues so deeply. So thank you for sharing that because I think it's true. I think, you know, the more that we can uplift and be inclusive in sport, you know, that translates over to to teams. And we think about companies that are really grappling with their own stances and how they really not just say they're practicing diversity, equity, and inclusion, but actually doing it and not just giving lip service to the benefits, but actually seeing it like play out of how much better your product is or your interactions or, you know, whatever it is you're trying to build. We're all better when we're more inclusive, when we're more diverse and we have different people giving 
giving their voice. What was your early experiences as an ambassador at Wazelle? Yeah, I, I think it was really a blank canvas for us, right, in the Bay where, you know, Wazelle being a, a fairly young brand at the time, trying to find its footing among the right group of women. And, uh, you know, myself, along with a couple other leaders in the Bay, formed casual kind of informal running meetups on weekends in Golden Gate Park. We put on fashion shows. I think that's like the only time I've been in a fashion show (laughs) at like local running stores. Um, It was really, yeah, a blank canvas in terms of let's think of creative ways to meet women, to kind of broadcast to the world that there is this amazing brand who that goes beyond just, you know, apparel. And it was also meeting up with the ambassadors across the country really at meets. Like we did go to the, I think it was the 20, I'm going to butcher this, like my memory is failing me these days, but I think it was the 2014, 2013 US trials in Sacramento. So we would go to those type of meetups and it's just been a really great brand to connect with no matter where you are, right? So that's been a great community. And I have many, many friends from from Wazelle to this day. It's been so interesting to see their evolution from like 2007 when they started and just like a pair of shorts and their presence at, you know, the 2012 and the 2016 trials. And then even now, like, uh, Bridget and I are, are, are pretty good friends with Rebecca Mira's boyfriend, Jordan, who's been texting us from the trials and live streaming things. And just to see them as like a respected, like legitimate, just like ASICS has a right to be there, just like Puma now has reasserted themselves. It's sort of like the Wazelle time has come. It's a beautiful thing to see. I, I see their vision for sport and sort of the the voice that... Lauren has always had and Sally. And then I think, you know, Sarah Lesko, a little bit more in the background, but if you follow her on Twitter, you know, she has that voice, you know, it's sort of like, it's being heard and it's later than I think we all would have liked, but it's really lovely to see. And it's so obvious that they value the community so deeply. Totally. Yeah. And I would say to your point, Mimi, like, you know, what was it like in early 2000s, they were probably vying for a seat at the metaphorical table. I mean, they've got that seat, right? There's no question. And I think at the intersection of sport, feminism, women's empowerment, activism, like they're at the head of the table on that one. Absolutely. I mean, there's always like these oh, so-and-so has left this other team and they're searching for like a women-owned brand or something that really is in line with their value. The first name that comes out is Wazelle. You know, it's always the first name that's mentioned, which is amazing. So continuing with that women empowerment team, you mentioned that you decided to join the Impalas. So what was your journey to that speedy group of women who we've had the pleasure of interviewing a few of them and they're they're awesome? Oh, that's great. I was going to say, if you haven't, you should. And I know many fast women there that I can recommend, but it looks like, I mean, you, you both have done your homework and you know the Bay just as well, if not better than I do. Yeah. Impalas. I mean, since day one, right, when I got out of college, was looking at joining teams, they intimidated me big time, right? The sea of blue, always finishing 
SF races in the top, you know, 10 positions, if not higher. I did, did not think that I would ever come close to joining the group. And I did try once and I failed. So it took, you know, two, I think it was the second try uh, I applied and got accepted. But that wasn't even the hardest part. The hardest part are the, the Tuesday night keys are yeah, you got to show workouts. up. <laughs> yeah, you got to show up. You got to finish those Michigan miles and, and all of the fartleks and intervals. And, but honestly, it was, it was really just, it, it was showing up. It was meeting all of these women that I revered that I was like, wow, I can, I might not be in the same pace group as them, but they were the ones that I had seen finishing in those top positions. So it definitely helped me discover a new gear, a couple new gears in me. Uh, that I would not have discovered on my own, or I love my friends and all, but I would not have discovered with my kind of less competitive running friends. And so, yeah, raced a bunch with them and just frankly learned a lot about discipline, teamwork, again, lifting each other up, no matter if there was a woman who was, you know, fresh out of college to retired and running a few times a week, but holding the the women's like 60 plus 5k record right it was a very heartening humbling experience to run with them and i would have continued but in 2015 my husband and i moved to singapore for a few years and so had to leave that nest did the goal to qualify for boston come before joining the impalas or during that time with the impalas I, I do give credit to the Impalas for helping to to set my eyes on that goal. You know, I was already a marathon runner, so I had a few under my belt. But that next level, right, that prestige that comes from Boston, I, I was in the company of, of the highest caliber women. And I thought, well, this is the time that I could, can try to make that happen. I think, yeah, I give credit to those, those track workouts and the, the Strawberry Hill repeats. But that became my my drive. And then, you know, I also worked with Dina at the time too, who could give me that more personal targeted training plan, both, you know, running related, but, you know, also strength building. She also knew my crazy travel work schedule. So really fine tuned my approach there. Um, like I was literally on on a plane like every every six weeks. And one minute I was in Mongolia, the next I was in somewhere else in Southeast Asia. And Dina was always there to, you know, tailor my training and my mileage according to my jet lag. Like if I could come up with some jet lag versus mileage or time of day training plan, like you could, you could plot something there and Dina kind of dialed it in. And so I think, you know, eventually you know, I did, I did make it to Boston and I had such a, it was a party. It was, it was fun. When you were, when you set that goal to qualify to run Boston, like, was it something that felt doable from the outset or was it more of sort of an audacious goal that you weren't sure if you could accomplish? I knew that I could do it. I think I was probably five minutes off. So I wasn't way off. And I think the qualifying time was 3.35 at the time for me. But, you know, you you two have 
have been running <laughs> and have <laughs> a marathon experience, you can bonk anytime. You never know. Go yeah. completely sideways. I just needed to to lock it in and and you know call in all the help. So and that's what I did. I think I want to say yeah, it wasn't my last marathon. I've I've definitely done a few others, but I still I was supposed to run Berlin this year, but I've got that deferred to next year. So I still have more in me, but I think that was I had my eyes on the prize and for me, right? Like I'm not, you know, trying to get an Olympic qualifying time. I'm not of that caliber. So for me, this was, this was the dream and my, you know, parents and my husband and my sister all came out to, to Boston and it's, it's an event, right? It's a huge milestone for, for runners. And I'm, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity and that I could invest in a coach and working with a, such a respected and amazing women's team. Mm-hmm. What was the race like that you ran to qualify for it? Uh, CIM, a good one, right? <laughs> yeah, love it. So I think it was uh, it was a cold but rather uneventful weather day for that CIM. I mean, there's so many things I love about Dina. I could go on, and it would be six hours of me just saying things I love about Dina. But like her as a coach. And I've, I've been working with her for a little over four years now. And it's like, she never tells you necessarily what she thinks your like goal should be, right? It's, it's a day to day building blocks, one on top of the other, like, oh, here's what I think you can run today in this workout. And she's not saying what that means for any one race until the night before you talk to her, you get a text and she says, I want you to go out at this pace or I want you to do this. And it's like, well, if Dina Evans says she wants me to do that and she thinks that I can do that, then I think I can do that too. Not only does her sort of opinion as a coach and as a human carry so much weight, but also she helps you believe it with what you're able to build in the workouts, whether you're able to do them with her in person or or not. Like she's always there to give you that encouragement or to debrief or you know, to talk through things. It's just, I don't know, anyone who's lucky enough to to work with her or know her as a person, like she helps you not only become a better athlete, but I think just a better human in general. Plus one million to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I think Dina kept like a massive spreadsheet of, I don't know if she still does that, <laughs> but she kept a massive spreadsheet of all of my runs and my training so like she has the data in front of her, right? It's mm-hmm. not like she's like lying through her teeth about what, what you can and can't do. She has the data, but she also has a sixth sense, right? Of knowing right. like you got this, right? And she has a healthy balance of pushing you and making you believe more than you believe in yourself with, you know, reality and ensuring that you're not punching too far above your weight, right? But yeah, I think she she's always been such a bright light and of encouragement, no matter the circumstance. It sounds like with your jet lag, my demands are are, are not very much. I'm like, oh, I have this <laughs> meeting. Can we like work around it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm not on an airplane, but it's, or I'll, I'll get a text from her that's like, do you have access to a track or a treadmill? And she just right. makes it work for you. And I've, I've and gotten those doing. texts too. Yeah. yeah. So you talked a lot about traveling and obviously moving to Singapore and 
really like how you discover new things via traveling. I, I think one of my favorite ways to discover any new location is by running. And so when I can, I try to run wherever I've traveled to. But, you know, is it work that inspires you to travel? Like, do you have to for work or is it just more this thirst for travel? Where does that come from and how does it fit into your life overall? I think the the thirst for travel was instilled in me by my parents growing up. We would take road trips to national parks or go camping at Yosemite, right? And then that eventually grew into, let's go abroad, let's go visit Japan, let's go to Austria, right? Like wherever it was. Work also helped enable that. In my previous job, I worked for a non-governmental organization that focused on development assistance to developing Asia. So I was on the road a lot. And the the silver lining of jet lag is that you wake up at like 4 a.m., right? So that, that definitely enabled me to go explore, especially in parts of Asia where it's just super tropical and equatorial in terms of heat, right? So, you know, I have very fond memories of being one of the first, you know, Strava segment creators in central Myanmar or some random mountain in Mongolia, right? But yeah, I think that definitely would kickstart my day, right? To get me ready for whatever the work day required. It also helped orient me to to the new city to make me feel connected. And then, yeah, just, just on my own, did a lot of solo travel in my 20s and then also um, explored a lot with my husband. And then more recently, you know, taking the kids out on grand road trip adventures. I think during COVID, we've been fortunate enough to hit up like seven or eight national parks, um, have a couple more in store this year. So I will be running in, in all of those and biking when I can. Yeah, that's just been an incredible way to see a new place. Um, I've definitely, you know, met people along the way and uh, I hope to be able to continue that for as long as my legs can carry me. Did the, did the van come during COVID or before, was it before? Yes, that is all my husband. Uh, He made the plunge to purchase a camper van and I slowly but surely warmed up to it. So (laughs) it, it takes a special type of person to be able to put a two-year-old and a four-year-old in that and travel thousands of miles across country, but I'm still standing (laughs) because I'm not the one doing the driving, right? I'm I'm in the back (laughs) shuttling snacks and YouTube uh, back and forth. That's an important job though. You have to keep the kids fed and entertained. And I would argue that's more difficult than driving. So thank you. I would tend to agree. You know, we wanted to talk to you about, you know, running and motherhood and what it's like to have two small kids. And I think, you know, if we go back to the Olympic trials and I think one of the reasons I don't have much of a voice today is because last night, I don't know what time it was, you know, we saw Allison Felix make her fifth Olympic team. And we saw the winner, which I'm embarrassed. I can't remember um, the incredible athlete's name, who the winner of, of the 400 final who's also a mom. And we saw this beautiful moment with Allison and the winner and the the kids afterwards. And it was like, it was just incredible. And I think that, you know, when you 
really know Allison's story and sort of her harrowing experience throughout childbirth and how hard it is for a lot of women to not only come back to running after having kids, but also the impact it has on the workplace. Just how impressive what Allison and, and her teammate did. You know, when we think about that, like, what what has your experience been as a mom, both in running, but also, you know, in work and, you know, asking for a friend who hopes to have kids and continue running and, and a career, you know, I, I hate to say like, how do you balance it? Because I don't think we ever really balance things. We just figure it out. But what did that, what did that look like for you? I always like to go back to kind of my motto on life, which is you can have it all, just not all at the same time. You know, I was fortunate again to be able to bear kids, to have my own biological kids. And I I had rather uncomplicated pregnancies as well as deliveries. That's not to say though that the road back isn't tough, right? It it definitely is. And you have to pace yourself in the comeback. But like I think Yes, we're we're in a an era where we are fortunate to have a lot of these role models like Allison, like other athletes around us to say to show us that it, it is possible to have that comeback or the the next chapter, right, of athleticism that is even better, faster, stronger right. than before, right? So that's been that's been so inspiring to watch. I guess, you know, work has been very challenging and rewarding. It's also a tough job and it's very demanding. You know, I manage a, a team of, of people. I deal with tough content, right? That makes up the world that we know it, but on, on the web. And so it's not always easy to compartmentalize between the job and taking care of my kids, especially in the past, you know, 12 plus months. That said, you know, I've often turned to running as also that outlet to reset, mm. right? And to to divide up my world of, okay, let's look at this hate speech language online for a second and then turn my attention to, you know, getting milk for my two-year-old, right? So, so I think that has really lent itself well to being, again, my outlet and my therapy, if you will. But it's just, it's damn hard, right? Like being a working mom, being an active person and trying to juggle it all. So there are days when, you know, my, my days won't end. They'll start at six and end at 11 PM. Right. And it's like all the things. And then there are other days that I have to give myself some permission to relax and not do any of the above or call on my husband to watch the kids while I go run for three hours. It's all a balancing act, right? Again, every day looks a little different, but I do think what I practice is what I preach to, you know, my team at work, right? Like they're only as effective, as impactful, as happy as I can support them by providing them the space and the tools to also unwind and unplug and, and have that balance. It's tough, but I, but I love what I do. I love that I can run every day, uh, most days. So very thankful. Given given what you do for a living, I'm so curious what your children's relationship is with technology. <laughs> That's a good question. I've never gotten that. They're so young still, right? Like yeah. two and four that it, it's honestly not as central in my head. 
maybe it should be, I don't know. But, uh, you know, we limit screen time as much as many other parents do. It's basically only for road trips. But if I have to crank out some work or email, I'll plop them in front of, of YouTube, right? You know, all in good measure, right? I'm, I'm, moderation is key here, but there's just so much more to the world than screens and phones and TV. So I'm, I'm not the biggest fan, but I'm also not, you know, too austere with, with my approaches to parenting. I think that's so smart. Yeah. You know, like take what you can get. <laughs> but I mean, the, the experiences, even though they're so young, like they'll remember going to the national parks and like the time in the van. And then they'll have this love for the outdoors and for nature. You know, I think that I probably watched more TV as a kid than really most of my friends, but it was this, we did that. And I went to summer camp every year and like played outside and went camping and I've grown up where, yeah, maybe I, my screen time on my phone could be a little bit less, but I also, you know, spend a lot of time outdoors. And so I think there is a way to, you know, make both work. And like, I mean, I'm obviously still rather new to parenting, having a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So feel free to ask me, you know, a few years down the road, what my response will be to your question, Bridget, because <laughs> I can't promise you it, it won't change, but just doing, doing my best here. Yeah. yeah. I think that's all you can do. I'm, I mean, I'm partially asking because my sister is pregnant and she's absorbing all the full range of advice that comes when you're trying to enter motherhood. And some people are like, don't ever let your kid on. And some people are like moderation. And some people are like, it's the best babysitter ever. So, you know, I, and I think some of the things that you said though, about just showing up and being your whole self and asking your husband sometimes for help and part of being a good leader for your team is admitting that the job is hard and and giving kind of space for people to be their whole selves and to know what they need to kind of show up. You probably work best when you've run in the morning or run, I don't know if you run in the morning or at the end of the day, but you know, those kinds of things, I think in my mind, I'm not a mom. So, you know, what I say doesn't hold that much weight, but like that seems to me to be the best advice. Thanks. Yeah, no, you put it really well, Bridget. And I'm not a mom either, so I really have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'll just come back and ask you questions every, yeah, you know, yeah. two to four years of what, of what we should Happy, do. you know, keep each other accountable and yes. learn from each other. But going back a little bit, you know, to what you said about as a leader and like you manage a team and you know that your team is only as, as good as their ability, I'm paraphrasing here, to, you know, to take care of themselves. And I think... More than ever, it's so important that leaders preach self-care and not only preach it, but actually practice it, whether that's, you know, themselves going out for a walk. I mean, I remember my my boss was like, I haven't been outside all day. Do you mind if we do our one-on-one -on -one and I be on the phone? And I was like, no, please. Like, that is such a great signal to me that, you know, it's important to, you know, go outside and take care of yourself. And I think sometimes we think we have to like sit back and be productive all day and, you know, if there's one thing that runners know, it's it's how to advocate to sneak in a run in the middle of the day. But I think also it's like you become so much more productive, right? You you either are solving that like difficult problem or thinking through a situation or, you know, just getting getting your blood flowing, your body moving so that you can come back and have energy to sort of cope with the rest of the day. And it's like, I want to normalize doing that and like taking care of ourselves and like announcing it proudly rather than feeling like we need to like 
sneak it in or hide it or or do those things because you know we are all with technology we're all on 24/7 even if we say we aren't like there's always more we can do always other things we can get done but we don't get that time back to take care of ourselves that's totally right Mimi and i think these covid months have helped to bring light and bring that more center stage right i think yeah I've personally been running in the mornings, in the afternoons, in the evenings, at 11 a.m., at, you know, 7 a.m., whatever it might be. And I think I've, you know, declared that on a number of occasions to that point exactly to not slink away and try to hide it because it's culturally not acceptable, but to also show that, you know, we do need to put our oxygen masks on first before we can help those around us, right? And I, I did see a lot of that happening where, you know, we were encouraging team members to go out and go on that walk or go on that bike ride to take care of themselves and their well-being mm-hmm. and continue to see that. So hopefully that hopefully that will be a little bit more lasting before we all go back to normal. But I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need to run in the middle of the day, like when I'm going <laughs> to the office, like you can go to lunch for an hour. I'm going to go run. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, before we, we wrap up, I can't believe how quickly this time has passed. We have some fun rapid fire end of the podcast questions that we're, we're going to ask you. But when you think about your relationship with running in the next 10, 20 or 30 years, what does it look like? That I'll have run all the marathon majors. Nice. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Cool. I think I'm halfway. So, okay. What do you have left? I've done Boston, New York, and... Uh, I'm totally blanking right now. Let's see. There's Chicago. There's London. There's London, Berlin, Tokyo, Tokyo, Berlin. Okay, so not quite halfway. I think I've just done New York and Boston. So I have a ways to go. You, at least you you are deferred Berlin. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was supposed to get me closer to half. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unless they start adding a bunch of other countries. Oh right? yeah. Because I think that well, then that's you just always... keep going. It's still yeah, doable. I'll keep going. Yeah. 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 It's fun. <laughs> okay. So let's end with some fun rapid fire questions. Where is your favorite place for a long run in the Bay Area? Ooh, I would say Sawyer Camp Trail. Oh, love yeah. it. Although there was just love a mountain it. lion sighting last week. So I haven't Ooh. gone recently. Oh, I didn't know that. The mountain lions are getting bold if they're going to Sawyer. I feel like you can expect yeah. them at like Huttered and Wonderlick, but Sawyer. All right. Totally. <laughs> Uh, what's your favorite race distance? I love the half. Yeah. Uh, if you could go on a long run with anyone, they don't even have to be a runner. Who would it be? Michelle Obama. Yes. That's a good, <laughs> cause everyone, everyone would say go Michelle and I'd be like, yeah, oh, they're, <laughs> they're trying yes. for me. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, do you have a favorite or best travel tip? You've traveled to like 60 countries, so we need to know. Oh boy. Um, don't check in luggage if you can, cause in and out of the airport, right. Yeah. Get there fast, take it slow. Right. So if you're going to do that, mm. got to just zoom on through. Yeah. I remember the first like long trip that I went on where I only brought a backpack and it was like so liberating. We were like, yes, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And your ways. You don't want the risk of, of like losing, you know, your, your stuff getting lost no. and having to deal with the airport and luggage. Yeah. 
Yeah. You feel like such a pro too. You're like, yeah, this is all I have. I'm good. I don't need, I'm not going to, I'm not going exactly. to baggage. <laughs> exactly. Uh, do you have a, a next place for a van adventure? Yes. Uh, we are off to Glacier National Park next month. So nice. I hear good things, but yeah, hopefully it won't be too crowded because I, I think July is, mm. is high season. Yeah, it, you'll have a great time. We went last year around this time when all, when California had all those crazy fires and it was gorgeous. So you'll have a great time. Um, our last favorite question, burger, burrito, or pizza? Hands down burrito, 110%. Nice. Team burrito. Yeah. Do you have a place that you like to go to? Uh, I do. But if I mention it, then everyone, <laughs> everyone will go will there. Um <laughs> But uh, if you're ever in Santa Cruz, Taqueria Los Pericos is where it's at. They know how to to make the best burritos, and I usually get the the camarones. Oh, shrimp! Nice. Yum! Yeah, so good. Yeah. Um, well, welcome to Team Burrito. We're happy to have you. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was so fun, Michelle. We could talk to you for so much longer, but we loved your perspective on traveling, the running community. Thank you for being so honest about your own journey. I think it's so helpful to have in-depth conversations about the beauty of running, how running can be a complicated thing, and the way that you kind of set out the different phases, I think is something that's really going to make me think about my own running journey and how it has, you know, shifted in my own phases. So thank you so much for, for sharing your story. And we look forward to checking back in with you as I'm sure there will be eight and nine and 10 phases and we'll just continue on. <laughs> thanks so much for having me, Bridget and Mimi. Uh, you two are pros at doing this. So thanks for, thanks for putting this together. Thank you for listening to this episode with Michelle Chang. You can find Michelle on Instagram at Madam Michelle, that's M-A-D-A-M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E. As always, you can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at Runners of the Bay. Send us an email, runnersofthebay at gmail.com. Uh, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you're thinking about the show, ways to improve, things we can do better, what you're loving, what you want us to do more of. And as always, we look forward to talking to you real soon. Take care.